Hi everybody, my name's Nick Beard. I'm the audiovisual director here at Peninsula Covenant Church, or PCC. Welcome to our message podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. So, uh, at the network, what we love to do and what we put priority on is taking what we've learned about God and from God and then making it super relevant and super practical in our daily lives. Um, So before Carlos comes up and preaches, what we're going to do is we're going to kind of touch base. I want to see, hey, what's God been doing in you all during this series? So my amazing wife, Aubrey, uh, and I, we're going to kind of come in uh, in between the pews with a mic, but we'd love to hear from you uh, an answer to these questions. Uh, What awareness have you gained or action have you taken that's connected to the series that we've been in? So what has God been stirring in you, and what, or what action have you taken based on the messages you've heard in the last few weeks? So you can just raise your hand and I'll bring the mic to you. Being more intentional, serving in our community, and just loving people that um, don't know Christ. Just really just loving on them and just being a part of their community and just making sure they know that we're here no matter what their views or situation. Yeah, just that that intentionality to go into the community. Yeah. Who else? What's God been stirring in you? What has God been doing in you through this series? This is a brand new stirring since you said that the messages are supposed to be really practical. Mm -hmm. Um, I want to apologize in advance for how impractical today's message might be. We forgive you. <laughs> Who else? What's God been doing in you? Over here. So for, for us, I think it's just about uh, opening our home more. Um, that's been something that's been going on for a little bit, but how our home is working to uh, serve others and uh, welcome strangers. I love that. That's not just you as an individual, but it's your home doing it. Yeah. A couple more people. Uh, Continue to be compassionate and annoying with kindness. Compassionate and annoying with kindness. I dig it. (laughs) One more person. Two more people. Reminding myself that I need to serve others, especially when I have those selfish bouts. Hmm. Serve others even in the selfish bouts. One more person. I think this uh, teaching has taught me to be aware of being kind and compassionate even to those people who are not kind and compassionate uh, towards me. So it's a matter of just loving regardless of whatever the circumstances. Kind and compassionate even when that's not what's around you at the moment. I love it. I, I'll put this here. I love getting to hear your guys' stories, right, of, of what we hear on Sunday mornings and how it's impacting your homes and your communities. I absolutely love it. So uh, as we jump to the next part of today's service, check this out. 
I love that there are so many fantastic one another's. As I sit in the gatherings and I watch all the words fly up there, I, I begged Gary, I said, let me do kiss one another. Like just 30 minutes talking about that will probably be a difference maker for good or bad within our community. Um, but instead of getting kiss one another, um, which is very practical, by the way, um, I've got this love one another. Love one another as we enter into Valentine's Day week. It's a time of love culturally. We're going to talk about love one another. And I'm excited. I'm excited for the text that we're going to be in today. I'm excited for the opportunity for us as a community to explore what it can mean to love one another. This is the meta one another right here. This is the one that invites and includes in it all of the other outcomes and actions and the things we talked about, opening our home up and seeing the stranger and considering how we can serve and the, the different ways of looking into our community. Uh, this is the meta category over all of those. Love one another. Our text that we're going to be jumping into is 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Uh, it won't be on the screen right now, but you have Bibles right in front of you if, if you want to use those. Also, we keep uh, all of our Sundays on something called Version or the Bible app. And you can just plug in there, follow along, keep information that way. But let me read to you out of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. So if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but I do not have love... I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have the gift of prophecy and I can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but I do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and I give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but I do not have love, I gain nothing. For love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, and it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in the evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes always perseveres. Love never fails. Amen. I like that. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your scriptures, how uh, they, they bring into focus and shed light on what it means to be alive, what it means to be fully human, how it is that we can live and move and breathe and be. This invitation to love one another, it's good and it's beyond us. I pray that your scriptures would speak today. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, how many of you own a mirror? Just a couple? I'm pretty sure we got a whole, okay, some of you, I'm gonna need you to be honest all morning here. We're not gonna get anywhere. Like if you, you we own mirrors, we have mirrors. Mirrors serve great purposes, right? I mean, um, I'm looking out at you and I, I'm probably guessing that most of you started today with a mirror at some part of your day. Uh, but I would need to take it to the next level. I actually love mirrors. I love anything that puts off a reflection. And you might be like, oh, Carlos, you're so vain. I'm like, you're judgmental. And we're not going anywhere this morning if we're just throwing names at each other, right? I don't know how it just starts. I'm a public speaker. Today, 800 people all talk to you about love one another. So it matters a little bit that, that I, as I'm standing up here in front of you, I feel like I'm together 
enough. But you know how it works. Some of you do. You start your day with a mirror in your house and then uh, the next mirror and then you check the third mirror before you go. And then when you're out, you check the car reflection, right? You get a, a, the car and then you go downtown because you have to have lunch with someone right here in Redwood City and you park and you, in the parking garage, but there's no mirrors there. So you're getting nervous. So you go upstairs and then you walk by timber and salt and there's a big window and you look at yourself and then you keep walking and there's Cyclismo, and you keep looking at yourself. And then there's Greenleaf Asian Bistro, and then there's Cyclismos. Clearly, I've done this before. I can name all of them for you. And as you're walking down the, the you're just like, did you forget what you looked like when you started? You, it's just one steady stream of windows. And then eventually you're looking at that one look and I see you and you see me and you're inside eating and I have to shift gears to the, I'm just a pastor looking for people. Uh, and I, oh, Mateo, hey, and I wave and he waves back and I'm like, whew, I'm glad he doesn't think I was looking at myself in the Chipotle window. And then after I leave, he goes, can you believe he was looking at himself in the Chipotle window? Like I just described an experience for a lot of us and that for me, it's just important because, um, because what I do. Because I'm going to stand up here in front of 800 people today. And one of, very, one of my very first times preaching, I was a youth pastor uh, in Minnesota, and they gave me Youth Sunday, which is like one of four times a year that nobody comes to church because they're on vacation. And they gave me, yep, they gave me that special day. And I'm there, and I'm excited, and I start preaching. And the, a woman in the front row, a grandmother named Ruth, she responds right away. Like one minute in, she's got her hand up. And I'm like, wow, I have a gift. I am connecting with her. I've never seen her raise her hand before. That hand is up and I'm kind of like, no, not right now, Ruth. I got stuff I want to say. And she keeps that hand up. I'm like, Ruth, what is it? And out loud in front of everybody, she says, your zipper's down. <clears throat> That's probably the day I fell in love with mirrors. Here's the funny part. I've done this all morning. It's funny to see all the heads be like, is, is the zipper down right now? Like, like trust me, I'm going to check the day I talk about it, okay? So... Here's the thing. Like, what do mirrors have to do with love one another? Well, practically nothing. Except that what they demonstrate for us in this life is they reflect things. A mirror just, it just gives us a reflection of what's real, of what we see. And today, I believe it's helpful to think about Scripture. Scripture even talks about itself this way. It says, this is a mirror. And when you read it, you're looking at yourself. And the difference between what you see and what you read is a gift God has for you, an opportunity for you to experience life to the fullest. So today is not about mirrors. Today is really about this question. How is your love life? Just think on that for a second. How's your love life? It's Valentine's Day week. So some of you are like, oh, I can't wait to talk about it. Others are you're like, never in church am I talking about my love life. And the reality is, though, it's the most important question we can ask when it comes to love one another. We have to begin with the sense of assessment. How is your love life? It's the critical question today. So let's take a look at a few texts that we're going we're gonna to walk through today. John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. Let's see here. Matthew, Mark. I'm going backwards, but that's the order. Luke and then John chapter 13. So here's one of Jesus' friends. One of Jesus' friends recording conversations that they had about life and about experience and about humanity and about the kingdom of God. And John chapter 13, Jesus says this, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. 
And by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Jesus sets right in with his closest followers, with a group of people who would have known the Ten Commandments, the thing, you know, we know that phrase, and it's these ten laws and rules about how to live life. And if you were really good and you were Jewish, you had another 600 plus additional rules to kind of keep you locked in so you knew how to live. And Jesus, who is a pro at all of this, he's a rabbi, he's a Jewish teacher. He says, I new commandment I give you. And he unleashes this unexpected, not just like new, if you think about like, hey, I got a new pair of jeans. That's not unexpected. That's just a, something new. This is a, this changes everything kind of new. And he looks at his close followers and he says to them, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. So it's not new for him. It's not new for God in his triune experience, how he loves us as God the Father and God the Son and God the Spirit, but it's new for us. It's new for Jesus' followers. It's different than put up with. Jesus says, I want to make love and I want to make it a verb. And I'm not asking you to feel something. I'm not asking you to feel something. I'm trying to give you a new value of action. See, Jesus declares that all people have value. There's no love one another without, as I have loved you. As I have loved you. And the disciples think about this man who called them, who saw them and said, I see worth and purpose and value in your existence and invited them to come find out what that meant. And as they lived and walked amongst people, they saw Jesus touch the outcasts and the sick and the lonely and the despicable and those who had no place in society. They watched Jesus just enter into that and to love them. And they watched him turn to those with power and authority. And, and again, from that place of love, say, you are misusing your authority. All people matter. A new commandment I give you, love one another. No qualifiers. Just do. Not a feeling. Just do. And this was something that propelled his messages and teaching. And then for those that followed him, it's the thing that established the church, the church that had a future that's happening right now in 2019, right here, as we sit. Love one another. So let's take it past Jesus to one of his followers, one of the people listening that night when he spoke those words, the disciple John. 1 John 4, 10 and 11 says this. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Now just listen to this next verse. You won't see it. Just listen to it. You see, no one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. That's a fantastic text to think about. Because you could say, what is love? Well, this is love. Not this, but this, that God loves us. So lo the challenge in all of this is I could sit up and we could, we could rifle through all sorts of texts in the New Testament drawn out of the old as well, where it's like, God is love, God is love, God is love. Do love, do love, do love. But here's the thing. You're going to leave and you're going to fail. You're going to find points where you just don't measure up. And here's what, I, here's what I mean by that. Love is a little complex. For us, it's a simplified word, right? But think about this real quick. Like Tina Turner, right? What's love got to do with it? Got to do with it. What's love but a 
Second-hand emotion. Some of you wanted to sing that, but you're like, I don't know if I can or not. Yeah, what's love got to do with it? What's love but a second-hand emotion? And then on the other side, you got this small little group from England called the Beatles. They, that was for you. They say, love is all you need. All you need is love. All you need is love. So, I mean, I'm listening to these two messages. On one, I've got this like champion female vocalist. She's like, what's love got to do with it? What's love but a secondhand emotion? Some days I feel like that. And then I've got this uplifting. All you need is love. The complexity is this. How many words do you have in your language, in the English language? I should rephrase that. How many words do you have in English language for love? Really? Just one, love. So I love pizza and I love my wife. That gets problematic. Gets a little bit problematic when I, unless I give context and tone and body language and you know me and you're like, he doesn't really love pizza. He means he likes pizza. But if you see me walking down Farm Hill Boulevard with a pizza that night, every night at 6.30 on my walk with my pizza and you follow me on Instagram and it's like me and pizza, you're going to be like, oh, he loves pizza like he loves his wife. That's weird. <laughs> and if I love my wife like I love pizza, that's a problem. See, love lacks the complexity, so we have all of life experience to give complexity to it, but it can leave us in this really confusing place. And so I want to bring to you today, many of you know this, but for some, this will be new. For those who know it, refresh your minds. There's four ways love is talked about in the time and day that Jesus lived and walked and spoke, and this is recorded. There's four ways love is talked about. One doesn't even show up in scripture. It's cultural and it's, it's a word that just means like a family. There's no emotion or action attached to it. It's like a descriptor. So that one we can just set aside for today. It's not what we're talking about. The other one is eros. Can you guess what eros is? Eros, like erotic, is, it's in the foundation of that. It's romantic, it's sexual, it's intimate. It's what, if you were to read the, the, the Old Testament scriptures and you want something, a little spicy song of Solomon, right? That's all eros love right there. I am my, my beloved's and they are mine. And there's a lot, of physical, a lot of physical love described in Eros. That's not today. And some of you are like, ah, oh, shucks. But we'll, we'll get to that another time maybe. But today, we're just talking about two types. So there's four types, four uses for the word love. They weren't strapped with our limited use of love. And then we had to explain it all and lay it all out. There's phileo. Phileo was common and it was understood by people as a type of love. If you look, it was a love for other people, friendship, fondness, brotherly love. Do you, you know phileo, right? You have it. You experience it. Your days are good when phileo is working for you. You feel connected to other people. You have this warmth of life. You feel like you have community and friendship and that your life matters. You have phileo. You know, the opposite of phileo is phobia, which is a really interesting linguistic thing, that the opposite of this kind of love for other people and how phobias cripple us and keep us from experiencing the freedom of life and relationship that we could have. But phileo is not it. Do you notice at, who's at the center of phileo? You are. I am. Just us waking up and trying to do some phileo. But the problem is some days, some weeks, I would contend a few times in my life, some months, I have not done very well at phileo. And most of the one and others kind of live and exist in that phileo category. They, they kind of linger in this place, be kind to one another. Look, you don't need to have a supernatural experience to be kind. Fred Rogers taught us that. 
The first key to an exceptional life, be kind. The second, be kind. The third is just like it, be kind. That's Mr. Rogers. Some of you are like, who's Fred Rogers? Mr. Rogers taught us that. Sorry, I had to clear that up for some of you. Um, Phobia, phileo, it's a human love. Then there's this word agape, and that's what Jesus introduces to us. That's what the text has for us. Now, agape, Jesus didn't coin it. He didn't create it. It was a word that meant what you see here, a undeserving sacrificial love without condition. Jesus made it divine. Jesus encountered people and he agape loved them in such a way that agape was lifted up out of the dirt of sort of like just being a servant for others and lifted to this place of absolute, total self-sacrifice. The type of love that cannot originate within you alone. Because if you can't do phileo 24-7, how can you embody agape? How can you do that? So hold those definitions and hear this this way to consider agape as we jump back into those texts we initially read. Agape love is unmotivated in the sense that it is not contingent on any value or worth in the object of love. It is spontaneous and heedless. It does not determine beforehand whether love will be effective or appropriate in a particular case. This is a way to encapsulate who the person of Jesus Christ is. There was no guarantee of a return in his love. There was no return on investment. There was no phileo as he was being beaten and stripped and tortured and ultimately murdered. When he was put in a grave, there was no phileo. And when he rose from the dead, foundational to what we believe here at PCC, when he rose from the dead, he established agape is a real thing and it's available to you and I. Agape is here to stay and its foundation is a divine love that is unmotivated in the sense that it gets anything in return. It is strictly love poured out for you and poured out for me, it's a love that doesn't love based on the value or the worth of something, but it gives worth, it gives value through the very act of loving. That right there was not lovable, had no value, no worth. By loving it, I have suddenly said it's valuable. That's what agape does. It doesn't love based on the merit of beauty, but loves by giving beauty through the act of loving. It makes beautiful by how it loves. And in a superficially, uh, a culture that's superficially infatuated with beauty, this is an interesting point. There's agape is needed now more than ever. That's not true. It was always needed the same, but for dramatic effect, really, it is needed now more than ever. Because we are slicing humanity up and putting everybody in ideological buckets and saying who's in and who's out and who belongs and who doesn't. And Jesus is saying the only place that determines that is my death and resurrection. The cross and the tomb and the empty tomb, that's where worth will be determined. So with that, with that in mind, so we start out love one another. It could have been great. I could have said like, here's 10 steps to love one another. You could probably Google that. But now I brought us to this point where you can't. We can't. 
So let's go back and let's just roll through these texts again. First John chapter 4, 10 and 11. In light of what I just said, consider now the words to followers of Jesus. This is how God showed his agape love among us. You see, he sent his only, his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is agape love. Not that we have love for God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And the next verse says, friends, therefore agape one another, just as I've agaped you. And everyone's going to know that I'm real when you do that. John 13, 34 and 35, back to the very words of Jesus. A new command I give you. Agape love one another. It's not phileo. It's agape. Agape love one another. As I have loved you, so you must agape one another. By this, everyone will know you're my disciples if you agape one another. In your message notes, there's a little survey. Because maybe you're like, ah, love's not really that big of a deal to Jesus. Just pull open your message notes, turn to the second page. There's just a survey, a short survey. There was so much more I could have added here. For this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should agape love one another. A new commandment I give you, love one another. Above all, love each other deeply. Because love, agape, love covers over a multitude of sins and wrongdoings. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to agape love one another. Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Do everything in agape love. How's that? Like, just let's summarize this whole thing. How much should I do? Uh, Everything. We got to do everything in agape love. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in agape love. Finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, agape love one another. So this is all over the values of what it means to be fully alive as Jesus brings in and ushers in a new kingdom. So with that, as that thought of the sacrificial, divine, overarching, unmeasured love that expects nothing in return, let's go back to 1 Corinthians. I'm going to take you a little bit into Christian subculture. Those of you who grew up with it, we probably share some commonalities here. But 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we're going to skip ahead to verse 4. Love, agape love, is patient. Agape love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Agape love does not delight in evil, but it rejoices with the truth. Agape love always protects always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Agape love never fails. This, this is like a, 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 you know, a cultural top 100 forever hit in Christian subculture. Like we know there's a subculture to following Christ and learning language and doing things. So I became a Christian uh, right heading into college. And I was introduced to this. I fell in love fairly quickly. And so, you know, this was read at my wedding. How many of you had this read at your wedding? 
Okay, so we're all a little bit on the inside circle. No shame in that. It's beautiful. Love is patient. Love is kind. How many of you had a friend like needlepoint or calligraphy this thing for you? Okay, I went to a Christian college, which that's like level two Christian subculture, is as you have friends needlepoint and calligraphy, this verse for you at your wedding. I've got this, we hang it up. My wife, I love my wife. We agape, love one another. Love is patient, love is kind. Year one, we're crushing it. We are so in love. Like we've been married 20 years. I love her more than ever, but I don't want this to hang on the wall anymore. Because this, this isn't about a husband and wife. This is about people. This is about people and a God who loves them deeply. And if you, if you look at the context, so this happens in the midst of a letter that a guy, Paul, writes to the church. This church in Corinth. Corinth is like a happening, in vogue, cosmopolitan uh, city. It's like a Silicon Valley style city right in the Greek empire. It's a coast. It's on the coast. It's got ports, culture, so much happening. And the people in that city have heard about Jesus. They didn't know him. They didn't see his miracles. They didn't witness his death and resurrection. They have, a, they have just heard from those who've encountered him. And they said, wow, this, this is the one true God. And they're trying to follow him. So the church in Corinth starts and Paul writes a letter to them. Now, Paul, if you don't know, he wasn't a friend of Jesus. Uh, he hated Jesus and his followers. He put to death uh, and would have men, women, children. There were no limits to how opposed he was to the teachings and the people of Jesus. And Paul has a transformational, supernatural encounter with the risen Jesus Christ. And Jesus, eye to eye with him, says, Paul, I see you and you are missing it. There's something greater than what you're, and Paul thought he was doing the greater thing. He says, there's something greater than what you're doing. And Paul falls in love with Jesus. And he actually goes on to write two thirds of the New Testament. That's who writes this letter. And he writes it to this happening church. But the first 12 chapters of 1 Corinthians are a mess. I mean, they're friendly. Paul's like, I love you. I reach out to you. Then he's like, you're really bad at phileo love. It's like you're mean to each other, you gossip about each other, you bicker, you disagree on everything. Some of you eat all the food and don't leave anybody for any else. You don't respect your differences. And he's just, for 12 chapters, he's trying to say to them, you're missing it. There's a way to live and you're missing it. Stop sleeping with who you're sleeping with and being proud of it. And I mean, he gets into singleness, he gets into marriage, he gets into food, sex, money, culture, entertainment. He just, he lays it all out. And he says, you are Missing it. And then in verse 13, he first starts with himself. He goes, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels, if I sacrifice everything, if I am just the greatest follower of Christ the world has ever seen and I don't have love, it turns out I'm not a follower of Christ. I'm so deep in the red. I'll never get myself out of it. And then he turns and not in like the Christian culture marriage kind of way, he doesn't say, love is patient. Love is kind. <sighs> you need to read. Remember mirrors when we started? A mirror is a reflection. He's like, hey, Corinthians, please look in the mirror of the truth of God and what he has to say to you about living. Love is patient. You're not. Love is kind. You've been anything but kind. Love is not boastful, not proud. It doesn't envy. And if you look in the first 12 chapters, they're pros at all of that. They're like really good at boasting, envy, pride. He lays it all out. So what's, what's the point then? Is this just like a chiding? What's practical to Luke's point for us? So what do we do if we 
are not really great at phileo love all the time. How do we love one another with an agape love? And I want to give you this invitation. Because it's like this dynamic is like you saying to me, like, hey, Carlos, you, you know Usain Bolt? He's really fast, if you don't know who that is. He's really fast. Um, I want you to beat him. Okay, I don't sprint at all in a long time. The last time I sprinted was chasing a wiffle ball out there, and I pulled, like, popped a hip, and I was out for, like, two weeks. So you're like, okay, let's get you off the land. Too much, like, soft tissue damage. You know Michael Phelps? Guy's got a few swimming records. Just want you to beat him in one race. That's the essence of what Paul is saying. Okay. That's the essence. He's saying, love one another and it's impossible. Love one another and you can't. Love one another and you have no shot. So here's my takeaway. Friends, it's it's not about trying harder. You will end up disappointed. I mean, phileo love all you can. Go for it 24-7. Schedule it, plan it, review it. Be a loving person. Serve others. Be a good person. But agape love, you can't try your way into that one. Because phileo starts with you and it's kind of dependent on your day. Don't try harder. Have a transformational encounter with Jesus Christ. The foundation of agape love, it's an encounter with Jesus, not more effort. It's an encounter with Jesus. That's the most practical thing I could give you. I had an encounter with Jesus once. And that encounter ushered me into a way of thinking and living and being that reasserted and reset my value as a person and reset my focus as a person and said, your life, your gifts, your time, your hour, your energy, it is meant for others to flourish. It's meant to see the best in others. I could never have gotten there without that encounter with Jesus. I could have gotten partway there, but I would have just slid back. I've got too much gravity. It's too much of me pulling everything to me. We don't need to try harder. We need a personal encounter with the living God in the person of Jesus Christ. There's a group of people called the Moravians. It's a part of the Christian faith. The Moravians were influenced by pietists. A guy named Zinzendorf, long time ago, he loved Jesus. And he just said, I just want people to get away from all the big church rules and just fall in love with Jesus. And a group of his followers had noticed that the West Indian slave trade was in full blossom. It was the most evil, horrific thing in the face of history, of modern history. And the church was behind it in support. It just was the way it was. And these Moravians... A couple of them said, we have a problem. There are men and women and children who don't know the goodness of God because we have put them in a system that oppresses them and crushes them and uses them and destroys them. We want that to change. We want to go be amongst them. And the church said, you can't go. And they said, fine, then we will sell ourselves into slavery. We will be purchased in the same wrongful way they have so we can go live amongst them with none of the rights that we currently enjoy. We will give that all up for an opportunity to be amongst the men and women who have been oppressed in the transatlantic slave trade. The church that they were part of looked at them like they were crazy. They said, you can't do that. It breaks all the rules. And so these two young men went to live in, West, in the West Indies. 
and they went, meant, went to live amongst, and they tried to sell themselves into the transatlantic slave trade multiple times. That's kind of a wild story, and it doesn't have a romantic ending. They just wanted people to know the love of Jesus, people that they saw were being so mistreated and unloved, and it was being encouraged and supported by the systems of the world. That's agape love. There's no phileo that gets you there. So don't try harder. Like those young men, have a transformational experience with Jesus Christ. See his goodness and then lean into that goodness. So here's my question for you. How is your love life? We started with that. How is your love life? I ask that question because when you look in the mirror of agape love, you need to ask yourself, who is beyond loving in my life? Who is beyond loving in my life? It's probably a question you have to answer when you're alone and you're with your own thoughts and you think about how you act, where you spend, what you write, what you read, what you affirm, what you watch to determine who's really beyond loving in my life. And then the agape question, which is possible. Who needs your commitment to love them? I would hope if you've had a transformational experience with Jesus Christ, you would not go into this week without as a person empowered by the Spirit of God stopping and saying, who needs my commitment to agape love them? And nothing else will get in the way. Nothing else will get in the way. And if that sounds crazy and you're seeking and you're watching and you're looking and you're listening to what this church is all about, I would just say, it all begins with a transformational experience and encounter with Jesus Christ. You're sitting around a lot of people who've had that and some who are still wrestling, trying to figure it out. That's why we're together. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that you reframed and reshaped a sacrificial one-sided love and turned it into the benchmark for humanity that we would pour out with disregard for the return, goodness and kindness and gentleness, faithfulness, we would pour that out on those around us, especially on those that we do not see as deserving it. It's possible in you, Lord, and it's the reality of your church. So I thank you. In Jesus' name. Thank you so much for listening to the Peninsula Covenant Church podcast. We believe you're here for a reason, and we would love to connect with you more. Our campuses are located in Redwood City, California. You can find us online at wearepcc.com and on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just search for We Are PCC.